Welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast and uh, following up on Dave's preach on Sunday about uh, Jesus saying he hadn't come to abolish the law and the prophets but to fulfill them. Uh, loved the fact, Dave, loved the fact that there was a West Wing illustration in there. Huh. There, I know there was a small nucleus of people in the Bridge Church who were absolutely delighted about that. Um, um, so someone <laughs> someone came up to me afterwards, very helpfully, my dad, um, was admonishing me not admonishing me but telling me that i'd use that scene out of context <laughs> i know who it is <laughs> sarah cooper yeah she had yeah. the same conversation with can it yeah. did take her point yeah although i think the illustration still worked yes it was because because i i i because i think president bartlett has his biblical theology wrong yes it's the point yes but yeah but it, it made me laugh <laughs> but i did very clearly say the algorithm spat this out at me. <laughs> I'm not like an avid fan, so. Oh well, that was my, that was my follow up question. See, is it, so have you have you watched the West Wing through? Have oh no, watched... I've, that scene's the only thing I've ever seen. You are kidding me. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so my follow up question is: What's the matter with you? Ah, <laughs> class. And are you are you going to watch the West Wing? It is like I I think it is the candidate for the best TV ever written. Wow, an Aaron Sorkin fan right here. Yeah, yeah. The newsroom's not as good, but it's good. But the West Wing, just classic. Um, I'll s- I'm disappointed. i got to admit, I know this is the podcast. I'm sorry, I'm disappointed. But I, I would really recommend you watch it through. It's excellent. And I thought the illustration worked really well. Though I do see what Sarah Cooper's saying in terms of okay. context. Okay, take it away. Go on. <laughs> well, you were going to ask I should probably get into the serious questions, yeah. shouldn't I? So I thought it was a really helpful portrait of what it means when Jesus says he fulfills, not abolishes the law and the prophets. Yeah. Um, you, you were clear that that's not just about the law of Moses, that's the, the law and the prophets as in the Old Testament. So going back to President Bartlett, following on from your illustration, um, t- let's take the example of selling your daughter. Yeah. So I'm sure I was saying, surely the answer is no, but is the answer to no? And if so, why? Yes. Okay. I'd split your question up here because you got a bit confused. That was such a long one. Sorry. Uh, so <laughs> is it okay to sell your daughter? No. Um, the word for sell, well, the word for selling your daughter as a slave is the word ebad. I don't know if I've said mm. that right. Uh, it's used 800 times in the Old Testament and it's often in reference to servitude. We're not to think of this as like modern day slavery or the slavery uh, that happened in America that William Wilberforce brought about laws to abolish. Mm. Uh, in the biblical law, for example, you aren't allowed to kidnap a person to make them your slave. That carried the death penalty. That's in Deuteronomy 24, mm. verse 7. Slavery was more like voluntary contracted servitude. Yeah. So it would be like having a maid in your house who you, who you paid who you fed, who you looked after. So in ancient Israel, there were no bankruptcy laws. There was no government welfare system. You couldn't go on the dole. Uh, there were laws to help the poor. So there were gleaning laws, like in the book of Ruth that I gave yep. uh, summer, that little book, uh, where as you uh, gleaned your field, as you picked your crops, you were to leave some on the ground for the poor to come after and pick up. Uh so to sell oneself into slavery in summary was a way of providing for one's family so it was a paid position it was voluntary temporary and not based on race and in the seventh year Mm. the year of jubilee you could be set free Uh, that's leviticus 25 in fact if a slave was happy if they enjoyed being a slave 
they could voluntarily choose to be a permanent servant in that household. Mm. So, and all that's to say as well, the Israelites were to treat these people who were their slaves, servants, they were to remember that they were slaves in Egypt and how they were harshly treated. So, no, it's not okay to sell your daughter under slavery, but also it would be like, to reframe the question, it would be, is it okay to let your daughter work for a business where she cleaned the floors you'd be like yeah that's fine yeah because that's that's more of the equivalent yeah so when we think slavery then what we're talking about in the old testament isn't as bad and severe as that that's yeah. kind of what we're saying but also yeah the, the short answer to the question is no it's not okay which then leads us on to the follow-up bit if not why not so um again you helpfully laid out about the the, the one model yeah for figuring out which parts of the Old Testament law still apply to us is the moral, civil, and ceremonial categories. Yeah. There's other models too, but yeah. basically all Christians are saying, aren't they Bible-believing Christians? Yeah, the whole law of Moses doesn't apply to me directly anymore. It's just what model do I use to understand which yeah. bits do apply? Yeah. So anyway, I thought that w- was helpful. How would you flesh that out a bit more in terms of if the answer is no, why is it no? Why does that particular command set of laws not apply to you and me directly anymore it's funny i read like a 20 page thing by the christian institute about mm. moral civil and ceremonial laws and about how they're okay to use those as categories to understand mm. and i was like wow people really get annoyed about you know, even saying that those are ca- helpful categories people are like no 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 it's mm. not in the word anyway side point i think mm. how how do we decide which commands apply and which don't i think legalist incoming i think we need to read our new testament so books like hebrews and romans in particular help us see which of the laws have passed away Mm. um so in hebrews it talks about uh hebrews 7 12 it talks about a new priest which means new laws and new commands Mm. Uh, so i think as you read those it makes it quite clear that jesus hasn't done away with the moral law Mm. In fact, we'll see it in the Sermon Mount that he gets us to the heart of it. But we see that the yeah. ceremonies, the tabernacles, etc. are fulfilled in him. I, I've been thinking a wee bit about how the Ten Commandments uh, is sort of... Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and shows us the heart in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Which is just yeah. interesting whenever people say, Oh no, Ten Commandments are Old Testament, but Jesus, yeah. Jesus builds on them. So... I mean, because yes, even if you even if you just read Sermon on the Mount uh, and Hebrews, yeah, straight away that that's telling you, you good so framework. much, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, about how to read your Old Testament. Because you made the point very clearly on su- Sunday, it all applies to us because it's all God's word and it'll never pass away. Yeah. But in terms of how it applies to us, do particular commands still directly bind me? Yeah, even just reading Matthew and Hebrews, that'll that'll answer a lot of your questions, yeah. won't it? Yeah, and. Uh, preview for this sunday but jesus says to the crowds you have heard it said but i say to you that's not him doing away with old testament he's talking about what the scribes and teachers of the law have said to them because you'll notice when jesus is speaking to the devil in the desert he Mm. says it is written Mm. and in the sermon Mount, he doesn't say you've heard it is written blah 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 but i say to you he just says i'm correcting yeah wrong or false assumptions that's really helpful i think it's um when i was reading up on this recently don carson (laughs) i'm quoting him a lot recently um i think he very helpfully makes the point that um dave 
What, we, what was the last point you made? I'm going to have to listen back to the recording now. They established the law. <laughs> I completely I, lost my thought. It shows how much I know what I'm See, saying. You're getting insight, listeners, into what conversations with Dave <laughs> and I like. Because so often I'll start a sentence and I'll say, Dave, what was I saying? And the, when I remember, I'll come back to it. It is written. The scribes and the teachers of the law, it's their oral tradition. Oh, yeah. Car- thank you. Carson makes the point that it's not... <laughs> It's not that Jesus is coming along. This is the Son of God. He's the authoritative interpreter of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant law. He's not coming along and saying, right, here's some stuff that I want to add to the Old Covenant law. He's not so much saying that. He's saying, here's some stuff that was there all along. And I want to show you what's there and how deeply it applies. And he's the one who has the authority to, to say that and to make those interpretations. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's great. Tangent already messed up the, the flow of the questioning so um one verse that may have sprung to mind for some people uh there's a verse in ephesians where um paul himself uses uh the word yeah, i've got the verse in in my answer you don't have to get it up on your phone oh. <laughs> well um yeah you can read it out for us then because he talks there about um the law of commandments and ordinances being abolished yeah and then you've got this verse in matthew saying Jesus saying, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. So any thoughts on how we reconcile those two sets of verses, both of which speak about abolishing? Context, Matt. <laughs> a text without context is a con. We know this. I love that because the, the one the phrase I grew up with was a text without a context is a pretext. Oh, so, con's better. Yeah, I, well, I didn't. Yeah. Because it use, it's just using the word. <laughs> Yeah, but so it's te- pretext. It's just a no, no excuse context. For... Pre pretext. There's no P R E in context. <laughs> Come on, man. Anyway, carry on. Carry Matt on. Dios. Okay, <laughs> let's go. Verse fourteen. So Ephesians two fourteen. For he himself is our peace, mm. who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh, with its command and its regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to god through the cross by which he put to death their hostility he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near so the context of ephesians is talking about how god has brought together jew and gentile so the word abolish means to render inoperative or to remove all power from so i think what paul's saying here is that the law had the power it separated the jewish nation from the gentiles around them uh which means they were i suppose they were at war with each other in some ways they were the jews were distinct and different they wouldn't have anything to do with the gentiles Mm. and i think paul is saying that that power has been removed because christ has fulfilled it i suppose is another way of saying fulfilled he's he's abolished it he's done away with it by fulfilling it that's the means by which he's abolished it so Mm. uh yeah, this is Hebrews seven twelve. I mentioned earlier. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Mm. As soon as it's helpful to say, Paul also elsewhere calls the law good in Romans seven twelve and one Timothy one eight. So, I think what Paul is saying is, the law is abolished in its dividing ability. The way it divides Jew and Gentiles, Christ yeah. has now yeah. brought them together. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I that that's one of the that's one of the um, classic interpretations, and I because I think it is saying that that it's lost its ability to divide. <laughs> um, I think. See, I think I go a little bit further in the sense that I think what Paul's saying there is, 
that it it's literally abolished, destroyed as a covenant. Uh, so, so this is it, where my covenant theology comes through. A yeah, bit. Um, maybe there's maybe a slight difference in nuance. Yeah, between between the, the ways that you and I would understand it. So I'd say that I think Paul's saying the old covenant law as a whole covenant now is abolished and doesn't directly bind you and me yeah. as a covenant. When a, when another Christian then says, oh, right, so you're saying it's irrelevant. Say, no, no, not saying it's irrelevant at all. It's A, still God's word, which is the point you made on Sunday. Yeah. Um, and B, when you listen to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he's he's applying to his followers so much of the old covenant law. Yeah. So it's abolished as a covenant, but many of the commands still apply. It's a slightly different way of understanding it, isn't it? But interestingly, we both arrive at pretty much the same place, the same place anyway, <laughs> even when the, the the theology behind it differs. Yeah, I think, and that's important to say, isn't it? Because you you see um, Christians getting into debates about this stuff, like about the, the Ten Commandments. You know, are the Ten Commandments all completely abolished, and then they only apply if Jesus restates them, or do they still, or do they apply automatically because of the moral law of God? Well. Do you know what? We end up in the same place anyway, which is at least nine of the ten commandments still yeah. apply to us as Christians. Yeah, funny. Anyway, uh, there was lots of good stuff in there as well, Dave, on Sunday about the Christian's attitude to Scripture, um, which I'm going to come back to in a minute. But how? more a personal question, I guess, an experiential thing. How did studying this passage help you in your view of, of Jesus himself? Because this is that's at the heart of this passage too, isn't it? Not just about Scripture, but about the authority that Jesus has and who he has and the, the things he's saying. Yeah, I think I think it was the wonder at the 613 commandments fulfilled in him, mm. sort of that, sort of the audacity to say like, yeah, this is, this is all about me, this all points to me. Mm. It made me think about how attractive he must have been to have been around if he was yeah. always good, always pursuing what was right even whenever he was angry, being righteously angry, it mm. must have been incredible. Yeah, he must have been so magnetic. But then also, sort of the flip side of the coin, terrifying to be around. Like, whenever... Uh, I can't remember which disciple says it to him, but he says, depart from me, Lord, from a sinful man. It's Peter. Peter, yeah. After the miraculous catch of fish. Yeah. Like, it, it must have been incredible yeah, yeah i don't know just awe awe filled almost and, and i suppose sometimes like you see this with the pharisees but probably for everybody just irritating as well yeah when you got that perfect you're a sinner and this perfect person yeah. is around you yeah it makes you so much more aware of your own sin mm. um i think also whenever you get to the cross then to think of that moral perfection without spot or blemish to become sin for us like yeah uh, it ties into what we did with the young people on Sunday night about suffering. I will never suffer as much as the Lord Jesus suffered mm-hmm. yeah. because he experienced something that is alien to God to yeah. become sin. Yeah. So yeah, that's how I helped my, mm. well, help my view of Jesus, yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the things I'm hoping for and praying for myself and the church to work through Matthew. That There's so much we're going to learn. Yeah. But it's mainly this, isn't it? Just seeing and hearing Jesus, yeah. the incarnate word, and seeing how wonderful he is. Yeah. Um, coming back to the scripture theme, yep. and like I said, it would, a Dave quote, all scripture will always be relevant. Totally agree. Loved that. Because whatever your model of how the old covenant law still applies, that's the bottom line. It's yeah. it's always going to be God's word and will always be relevant. 
um, and taking that model of the ceremonial civil moral commands uh, which you helpfully laid out on Sunday how are the ceremonial commands about sacrifices taking them as an example yeah. how are they relevant to me today if I don't have to keep them so our models are slightly different but we both agree sacrificial system doesn't apply directly to yeah. Christians anymore cool. so if God's word is always relevant what do I do with them okay how do I take hold of them yeah helpful so whenever we read the ceremonial laws and it is a struggle <laughs> it is a slog isn't it uh, ask yourself what um, principle does this seem to highlight like yeah what does what is God valuing here mm. in this so is it purity of heart purity of self like the Beatitudes uh, is it highlighting God's care for his people by mm. giving them laws and rules to ensure that they're not sold into slavery for example yeah. uh, and that would be so the slavery would be more the sort of civil category civil, rather than ceremony yeah. Wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah yeah. I suppose the ceremonial ones they are whenever you read through them just how many how much blood and how much sacrifice mm. how much death there must have been yeah you know constant blood being splattered you know whenever we think about the tabernacle mm. it would have just had dried blood yeah constantly yeah. it doesn't really talk about washing yeah. the tabernacle down it would have just been caked in blood so to think mm-hmm. all of those sacrifices ceased because christ was the once and for all sacrifice which yeah, yeah. is incredibly encouraging I, mm-hmm. I don't know even just this is so ridiculous isn't it but like you can get a bit squeamish can't you whenever you're like buying like a raw chicken like a whole chicken <laughs> but just to think like animals like that were being butchered their blood poured out every single day yeah. for the looking forward to the true and greater sacrifice and, and that's such a helpful point because it's not pointing forward to the cross in some antiseptic way is it it's also showing us the horror of the yeah. cross yeah yeah and i suppose my my one sort of additional thing here is whenever you read these confusing ceremonial commands or whatever for example i often spend a lot of time looking up rugby interviews podcasts etc because i want to learn more mm. about the game if you read something in the, your bible like that is weird don't just crack on ask the holy spirit for help and go on the bible project go on some sort of yeah do a bit of a search and find out what it means so that you can yeah. then worship more fully mm. so yeah that yeah and i, I like that i mean the, the big thing is how it points forward to jesus and his cross as you say but also i, I love that about what principles does this seem to be highlighting? What does it show us about the character of God? Yeah. What he loves, what he hates. You know, that even when it doesn't directly apply to us as a law covenant anymore or a command anymore, it still speaks yeah. to us of God and his character, doesn't it? Yeah. I listened through, during our lockdown, I listened through a series of sermons in Leviticus. I think it was like 28 or 30 sermons. Mm. And I'm really glad that I wasn't in that church listening as in i'm glad that wasn't my sunday morning experience but as an exercise (laughs) of like just learning about it very much felt like a lecture in some ways like oh this is what all these things mean which is really helpful Mm. yeah great stuff um i loved as well that you said um you made the point that we want to spend more time in god's word not the bare minimum which is what i'll naturally tend to do yeah uh, how can I spend the bare minimum? No, it, it's good that we, when we want to spend more time in God's word, and that made it clear that reading God's word it's a relational thing, not a legalistic thing for Christians. So, another experiential, practical question for you, I guess: How do you manage to do that, spending 
more time good time in god's word how do you do that as best you can alongside life and ministries demands yeah i would say like it is a genuine struggle um in that sometimes you're like is this work or is this devotional am i doing this for me or am i doing this to spend time with the lord am i doing this to prep for something else Mm. it's that is quite a struggle it's hard to like switch your brain off from work mode into yeah devotional mode at times Mm. uh so through some of the things i do i'm praying through the psalms this year which is helpful in terms of like the devotional aspect because i'm not thinking about how this applies to church or anything it's just about me and the lord i listen i'm listening to the bible in a year which again is helpful just on a walk Mm. hearing god's word and just thinking about it um i'm taking one particular verse from a particular chapter and just spending 10 or 15 minutes thinking about the verse so i'm doing Mm. romans 8 at the moment that's really helpful um i think the sort of relational slash legalism thing is really tricky isn't it so legalism is i'm reading my bible so that god loves me and i feel like a good christian Mm. legalism is trying to create union with christ by my works Mm. but actually my union is secure because of what jesus has done for me but my communion can be better or worse yeah that's helpful so i i like the word discipline which controversial i know um (laughs) there are times when i don't want to read my bible or pray Mm. and i have to force myself i think maturity is doing things that i that i slash we don't want to do Mm. um so that might sound a bit legalistic but for me whenever i don't want to do it there isn't a legitimate reason there's not babies or demands or things like that it's because i'm self-reliant and love my own comfort so that that's why i think whenever we think about reading the bible there's a there is a duty element Hmm. but like doing the duty feeds the delight yeah i think it's a really important point to make that i'm glad you made it that we need to discipline ourselves in these things that lead to delight and discipline doesn't equal legalism we were talking about this off off air weren't we it I get it can morph into it yeah. if we're not careful, but being disciplined to do those things that we delight in because we follow Jesus is not the same yeah. as legalism. That's a really important point to make. Yeah, and it's the, the old picture, isn't it, of dieting. At the time, it might be grim, but for the mm. down the line, you're like, oh, there's something, yeah. this will be worth it sort of thing. And it applies to prayer too. We were talking about this off, off air, weren't we? We are working through a praying church by, by Paul Miller. Um, you know, that, sometimes i think i can get put off prayer because i i go to a prayer meeting and i don't have an experience <clears throat> you've gone croaky <clears throat> sorry yeah i don't have a, I don't have a particular ex- emotional experience while i'm praying or i don't see an immediate answer and i think there you go you know i'm not getting much out of prayer yeah but when we discipline ourselves in that delight of prayer we we see things happening and we see our joy growing it's not there's not always an immediate hit no, <laughs> and we need go. to we need to realise that, don't we, as we're growing in the Christian life. Yeah. Um, last but one question. I love the fact that on Sunday you honoured our Sunday school teachers, as just as an example, by showing how they're an example of being great in the kingdom of heaven because they are teaching the commands of, of Christ, amongst other things. Yeah. 
So I was then thinking, well, what about other members of the church? So they're not Sunday school teachers. They don't have a particular teaching ministry in the church. Maybe they don't have kids who they teach around the, the lunch table. Yeah. Um, how might they be encouraged in thinking about um, being great in the kingdom of heaven by honoring his commands and by teaching them? How, how, how do other Christians do it who aren't Sunday school teachers is the short version. Yes, I think I understand the question. Uh, I would say... Like we do it by our lives. So, for example, mm. the person who remains single and celibate is is great in the kingdom of heaven because they're obeying Christ's commands, and by their life, they're teaching others that yeah. that is a viable way to live. We we saw a friend on Saturday night who was talking about that and about how in her work she looks totally mental for being faithful, <laughs> yeah. but she is teaching them yeah. about about the lord jesus mm. so i suppose it is that sort of the way you can teach god's commandments if you're not a sunday school teacher is by being sharing life with one another so yeah, that absolutely. whenever yeah. you know whenever that person comes over and your kids are like how come x y or z doesn't have a husband wife family like oh well they never met with someone and mm. Christ says if you don't meet someone you stay single and yeah, you look forward yeah. to yeah. the greater wedding in, in heaven mm. and that like that is a form of teaching isn't it definitely it's not as uh, yeah not as obvious as Sunday school but but it's honouring Christ's commands isn't it yeah. yeah so I think you're right it's the doing life together I, I know <laughs> I didn't mean to sound surprised there you agree with you spot on <laughs> I don't know examples that might pop out of my head are often coffee shop examples, but like you meet another Christian to just catch up, chat yeah. about life, find out where you can be praying for them, and you're peppering a conversation with yeah. the words of Jesus. That That's another way that this is done, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely. Okay, last question. Um, I think what we're starting to see in these, these passages is what the righteousness that surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees looks like. You know, yeah. Jesus is laying that out for us, isn't he? Um, it was helpful that you showed that that righteousness that surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees is about obeying from the heart yeah. uh, and delighting in the scriptures, which you've already mentioned. So when it comes to delighting in the scriptures, um, what helps you and what hinders you, Dave? Let's finish with that practical question. What hinders me? Me. <laughs> I am the problem. It is me. So I hinder myself in delighting in the scriptures by my sin, by mm. my hard-heartedness. Even... Uh, I hinder myself in that I don't uh, so embarrassing in a minute isn't it I don't pray sometimes before reading my bible hmm. I'm just like why would I not ask the spirit yeah. who inspired these words to help me mm. so uh, I hinder myself uh, yeah sin sin st stops you from delaying the scriptures doesn't it mm. uh, the spirit wonderful help that's why we pray isn't it and ask and whenever you get to a bit, we're like, what does that mean? Like, I often say, I'm a, my subconscious runs out of my mouth often without <laughs> allowing it to happen. Where I'm like, what does that mean? And I've, I've started trying to train myself to say, what does that mean, Lord? Whenever I'm reading yeah. something, not just a, Dave, like, thinking out loud, I'm like, I'm turning it into a little But that's, a, li that's a little bit really powerful thing, actually, I think, just to do that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, mm. What helps, what helps me discipline like i need structure i need to know i'll do it and this will be so annoying if you're a parent with no time but i just to know on this day like tomorrow morning 
I have a, I run a, a little Bible study at Cardiff Met, and I know that to get there in time, I might not have time for my usual devotion. Mm. So to put it in at a different slot yeah. in the day, so that sort of discipline planning of time helps me. Mm. Um, whenever people tell me what they're reading, that really helps. I often find that elders whenever someone does a pause for thought like last night steve did something from james i was like i love the book of james i would love to read that again that helps uh my christian friends they're really helpful because i see this fruit of the spirit in them and want to be more like jesus spend more time in his word delighting in it um i think christian music helps whenever you listen to good songs they stir your affections for because they they're singing scripture back yeah. to you, don't they? Yeah. Um, so yeah, mm. the, something you can pray for me slash us is I often find Amy gets the dregs of me. So I spend the day reading the scriptures, <laughs> delighting it with other people. But then whenever she comes home, I'm just pickled. Yeah. So you can pray that we would delight more in the scriptures yeah. together. Um, so yeah. Well, do you know what? Let's do something a bit radical. We don't normally do on a podcast. Let's oh, pray close, shall we? Let me. Yeah, you. Let, you pray. Let me pray. <laughs> Lord, um, thank you that Dave and I have been able to have this conversation and record it, so that hopefully the church are blessed by it. We do pray for each other. Dave and I pray it for each other, and we pray for everybody in the Bridge Church. And I hope that anybody listening to this now is praying it for their brothers and sisters in the Bridge. That as we work through Matthew you will be shaping our hearts to be more like Jesus and delighting in his word and delighting in prayer. Just be working in us through your word, we pray. Uh, And we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I've got a skedaddle. I've got to go and see Pat. Oh, off you go. Hi, Pat. See you Sunday. See you Sunday.